it's very hard to come back from and mentally. It is a, a huge blow. Those of you who know my story, like know that I, after just a rash of stupid mistakes financially, ending up in serious debt. My wife and I got married with 105 grand in debt. We got out of that debt in four years doing a bunch of Dave Ramsey stuff. And then to be hit again, it's a real gut check and a blow, um, you know, to our family to, to have lost again. But man, people were ready. And I don't know what their prayer life is like. I don't know what their meditative life is like, but God spoke to them and they came to us and said, Hey, um, one family was like, Hey, what's your mortgage? We're going to pay your mortgage for the next few months just to get, help you get your, you know, get yourselves back on your feet. You're listening to the blue collar money podcast theories of middle-class investing. I am your host, PW Gopal performance coach and entrepreneur. And along with the blue collar money team, we want to say thank you for taking the time to join us today. Our goal is to help you get your hands dirty, get you unstuck and help you live out your best financial story. Hey folks, welcome back to Blue Collar Money, episode 85, Living a Life of Generosity. Um, man, I'm excited to talk about this today. Um, this is something I've been studying for a long time, very passionate about this and excited to dig in uh, to scripture with you and share some stories with you and hope that it may in hopes that it may encourage you um, to maybe go back to your numbers, go back to the to the story that your family is writing and living out um, and take it to the Lord. Maybe do some uh, a little bit of a gut check and introspection and, um, you know, maybe uh, rewrite some of the uh, upcoming chapters. Um, yeah, so this is something that we have been talking about on this podcast for a long time. We laid out the 10, the mindset of an investor series was in the beginning of this podcast. I think it was like, you know, starting in episode two on. Um, and so we are revisiting. This is the value number eight, which is generosity. And for us, it starts um, with our blue collar values. Uh, we talked about this before kingdom citizenship, uh, the integration of the, of the kingdom values that God has given us, having a production mindset, um, being financially intelligent and, uh, and managing risk. Well, uh, first let me say thank you for listening to, um, this podcast. Thank you for taking the time, uh, and being open, being open to learning. Um, we're, yeah, I'm just, I'm very grateful that you would take the time to, to, to be with us and, and even do some of the homework that, that we've asked, um, you know, to go back and to listen to episodes and, and revisit your story to change some of the narrative, uh, because we truly believe that God wants to use us and that our citizenship requires, um, some work, but in that work on the other side of it is blessing. Uh, it's blessing and honoring to God. It's blessing to us, to our families, to our community. Um, but it's also, um, it manifests in actual blessings. We get to be a part of, uh, of Christ's kingdom and, and the work that he has left for us to do. So today, again, starting in the old Testament 
concept of tithing from Leviticus 27, uh, verse 30. Uh, let me pull this up here as we read. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy uh, to the Lord. Now, what my understanding is that, you know, this, this law reigned um, until the time of Jesus. And this is in the, you know, one of the... Uh, one of the pieces that I guess gets flipped on its head by Christ when Christ comes and Christ tells the people that he is the fulfillment of the law. Uh, talking to a people that have not heard from a prophet for 500 years until the time of John the Baptist. Um, the last we heard, you know, prior to John the Baptist about this coming Messiah uh was from Malachi and Malachi is telling the people, he's like, Hey, let me be clear to you. You are robbing God in Malachi three, verse six, I, the Lord do not change. So you, the descendants of Jacob are not destroyed ever since the time of your ancestors. You've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them return to me. And I will return to you says the Lord almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? But will a mere mortal rob God yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in the house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I will prevent pests from de devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. That is the final, um, one of the final messages from the prophet Malachi. And, and, and after that, my understanding is that there wasn't, um, there wasn't another prophet that spoke uh, until the time of John the Baptist. And so we have over 500 years, we have the church losing this um, ongoing narrative of generosity back to God, honoring God in our tithes and offerings. And, and I would say, you know, I had to actually look up the word apostasy and, um, you know, and, and, and learn more about, you know, kind of the signs of it. And it's, it's, it's terribly interesting because I feel like, Watching, because I, I study numbers and I study the church. Those are the two things that I'm passionate about, the two things I study. And I feel like, you know, we may not be living in, in a time where, you know, there is a legitimate, by who, you know, by whatever measure, uh, apostasy, but there are some of the effects of it. And so I'm going to read this. Um, this is from, I just pulled this up from the internet. The conditions of an apostasy. As an effect of this apostasy, the people divide into groups with varied political, religious, and social agendas. They also differ in their beliefs and traditions about the Messiah. The religious groups tried to live in the law of Moses as they understood it, but each group interpreted the scriptures from such varied perspectives that Jewish society became more and more divided. As a result, the true understanding of who the Savior would be uh, became confused. And that... I mean, it doesn't really, I mean, that hasn't changed. We are confused about who 
the Messiah is. We are confused about his requirement of us. And, and if you don't believe me, um, I mean, you can take a poll for your friends, but sit back and look at uh, and evaluate your own story after we um, dive into this today. Um, we use a uh, a narrative from George Clayson. He wrote a book called The Richest Man in Babylon, and we call it the 70% Principle. It's not rocket science. People have been using it. Every financial book has kind of covered this, this thought that we live on 70% of, in our terms, what God gives us. And then we save, invest, and give the other three 10% pieces of it. So live on 70, save, invest, and give the other three um, tenths. So total of 100%. Now, we've done this with folks before. We've asked them to go back and look at their 70%, to look at their uh, save, invest, and give, and, and to drive their story inside of those numbers. And what most people realize is that they're living on more than 70%, that they are not saving enough, right? 10% is a minimum. I mean, it should be more like 15% in this environment. Some people would say as high as 25%. Um, save, invest. The middle class is, is you know, and because we are middle class, we, we don't know enough about investing to do anything but put it in a 401k, put it in a mutual fund, give it to somebody else, as my friend Mike would say, to abdicate responsibility and to give it to someone else to take care of. Um, and then the giving portion, like, now again, I'm talking about the law. This is a law that financial folks have set up for us that has been has evolved over the last couple hundred years in America. Um, George Clayson being the guy who kind of put it to words. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. I mean, it is a great foundation. But my question to you this the, today is, is this what God is asking of you? And those numbers, 70, it's all relative. They're all relative numbers. 70%, 10, 10, and 10. Um, are we doing the best that we can do if those are really uh, the numbers? And so as we talk about a lifestyle of generosity, uh, I would like for us to go and to consider a couple things. And, 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 and those of, of, of you who are believers, and I don't mean believers in Jesus, but like believers in blue collar money, believers in the way we are asking people to pivot and invest. Um, generosity is a lifestyle. It comes at the beginning of the narrative and it comes from listening to God. So my question, and I say, I ask every client this, you know, I, I ask them to meditate one hour a week. So my question to you is, are you doing that? Are you meditating? I mean, that doesn't mean that like you're praying an hour a week. It means you're sitting and you're listening. And if you're like me, you've got your giant XL moleskin notebook and you've got your entire life on two pages summarized and you're pouring over the words and you're looking at them and you're asking God to speak. And I finished our episode last week by saying, keep the main thing, the main thing. And, you know, are we listening and are we asking God, Father, uh, what is the main thing that I need to keep in front of me? Um, 
and what I think what he would include is people's names and people's lives and needs in your community and needs in your family. Um, the things that your kids might need to be discipled on. Um, I think those are the specific things that God would speak to us. Now, the things that are not a mystery are what he wants from his kingdom, love, mercy, and justice to reign. Um, and so we know we don't have to go far to understand um, that 10% is not the rule anymore, that God wants us to go to him and to listen to him, right? He, he bought us at a great price so that we could approach the throne and we could ask him who needs what, where in your kingdom needs investment. And the 10th is no longer in play. It's a hundred percent. Once Christ came with a new covenant, it's a hundred percent. Let's for the people in the back, it's a hundred percent. He owns a hundred percent of it. He wants a hundred percent of it. We get to keep some of it to use for ourselves, for our families, for our community. Um, so 70, 10, 10, 10 is a great place to start. As long as we are flexible, uh, enough to listen and then to do, to listen and to do. And if God says, I really need you to give 20% this month, um, and adjust your 70%, uh, or I need you to save radically for the next six months because I have work for you to do. And it's going to cause um, some tension. It's going to cause some chaos. It's going to put you uh, in a place where you're going to go without for a little bit. There are all kinds of situations that God can bring to us, but are we ready for them? Or have we just kind of automated life with Jesus and living by this 70, 10, 10, 10? Now, most people aren't even doing this 70%. They're not even close to it. They are burning the candle at both ends. Um living way past 70%. They are not saving enough. They're in debt. There's a hole in the bucket. There's a drain on the family. Um, now, once the first step, when I'm, you know, in conversation with people about writing a financial narrative, the first step is to get to that 70, 10, 10, 10. And then we take the science out of it and we apply the art. And the art is... Um, listening and doing. It is not going by what has been done and written about for 2,000 years. It's going by what, um, in, in your best way, what you think God is telling you uh, to do. So once again, are we listening and doing? Are we taking our financial story to the Lord? Are we asking him um, for a target? For who for a place where in the kingdom God would want our investment. And if the numbers don't match, if he is asking for an investment that is beyond who we think we are or what we're, we think we're capable of producing, that's where the fun stuff happens because that's when God likes to show off, roll up his sleeves and show us that he can make up for those numbers, but it draws us into an incredible, rich, robust prayer life. Um, my question to you is, is, is that happening? Second piece of this, if this generosity is part of the lifestyle that God is leading you to, there has to be a target or a partnership for that lifestyle. If you are in the 70, 10, 10, 10 variety, um, 
and there's nothing wrong with automating your giving. Uh, I, we automate some of our giving, um, but you know, mainly as a baseline, we want to make sure that we are honoring the law, right? Because Christ came to fulfill the law. So I know that it's at least 10%. So that money is already set aside. It's already in the channels to be automated to get to the people that need it. But then there, you know, there's part of my prayer life that has to be set aside for Lord, whom, who do you want me to affect that I might just meet in the next week, in the next day, in the next month? Um, where are the opportunities for me to invest? And maybe it's just a, a one-time investment. It's not somebody that, that needs my monthly support. Um, on a personal note, we have been the recipient of that. You know, we, you heard my daughter on the podcast last week and uh, a couple of years ago she got sick and it sent us into a spiral because we were lived in the hospital. I lost work. I lost my career. I wasn't able to go back to music because we came out of the hospital after three months to COVID um, my wife went into full-time care of our daughter and, you know, so we went from a good six figure income. Um, you know, we just did our taxes and we made right around between the two of us, we made 40 grand last year. Um, you know, so we lost whatever that is, 80, 90 grand in a year. And that's kind of hard to come back from. And how do you, that's not to say we have, you know, 130 grand in bills, but, um, it's very hard to come back from and mentally it is a, a huge blow. Those of you who know my story, like know that I, after just a rash of stupid mistakes financially ending up in serious debt, my wife and I got married with 105 grand in debt. We got out of that debt in four years doing a bunch of Dave Ramsey stuff. And then to be hit again, it's a real gut check and a blow, um, you know, to our family to, to have lost again, but man, people were ready and I don't know what their prayer life is like. I don't know what their meditative life is like, but God spoke to them and they came to us and said, Hey, um, one family was like, Hey, what's your mortgage? We're going to pay your mortgage for the next few months just to get, help you get your, you know, get yourselves back on your feet. Um, my sister lost her husband, um, the year prior and he had a prize Jeep, um, which, you know, it was a prize wherever this Jeep went, people wanted to buy it. And, uh, and so she sold it and she gave us the money to take care of our daughter. There was a gentleman who I still haven't had the opportunity to shake his hand. I've never met him. He was part of, he is part of a church in Pittsburgh. Um, he goes to church with our friend, Mike Hatch. And he's like, I saw you at a conference. You were leading worship. I never got to meet you, but you know, I've been following you on Facebook and I saw that your daughter is sick and we just wanted to be a part of that story. Um, I just got a massive bonus. Here's $10,000. And that's, so that's what our year looked like a couple years ago, massive devastation, but then recovery and, uh, being sustained in a way that only God could take credit for. And I'm not saying God has anything like that in store for you, but man, the opportunity to step in when people are in need you know, whether it's a chronic need or an acute need, like the opportunity is always there. And God is looking for people that are not going to burn, um, you know, the, the aggregate of his generosity, not going to burn it all and, and return 10%. 
but are looking for ways to preserve it and to grow it and to plant it, to reap the fruit of it, to plant it again and create um, just this ongoing event of cash flow in a sense um, to be constantly generous. I mean, think about it. Like what, what happened in those 500 years between Malachi and John the Baptist? You know, I just I just read you a summary of what an apostasy, you know, like people's agendas start to take over and people's belief about the Messiah change and people's uh, views on the kingdom get lost. Now, again, the, the kingdom wasn't really introduced until, um, you know, until uh, Mark one, when Christ talks about it. Um, but everything changes when we stay on the outside and we kind of kind of throw our attention to it in the form of our 10% checks. And I'm not, you know, I'm not shaming people for the amount I'm, sh- I'm, I'm shaming all of us for, uh, for that degree of apathy that we employ constantly. Barna released this 20 years ago. He said the church is at a 2% tithe rate. If the church at large, you mean across the world, grew their tithing to 10%, right? So just fulfilling the 10%, he said, um, all things being equal, we could end world hunger. Billions upon billions upon billions of dollars would be available uh, for people, good people, uh, Christ following people and other people uh, to, to, you know, to employ this money to, to end world hunger. Um, again, God said we will, Jesus said, we'll always have the poor. I'm not exactly sure why he said that, but a part of me thinks that he always knew there would be a struggle between our freedom and independence, which I love and adore freedom and independence. But I think he always knew there'd be a struggle between our freedom and independence and our faithfulness um, to that constant investment, right? Psalm 1, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. God is constantly pouring out, and, and there's a picture given to us of, of that river uh, turning into streams, and those streams like crawling out across the land to bless the people. And, the, you know... for the city of God, for the kingdom of God to increase. And we get to be a part of that. So all that said is, you know, are you, have you found your target? Are you praying for that target? You know, maybe, maybe it's somebody who's down on their luck. Maybe it's somebody who like us, you know, ran into just something completely unforeseen. Um, Yeah, I, I, Young Life is actually doing this right now, and I'm sure other ministries are, you know, have were before them. I don't really know who created this idea, but um, one of my goals, and it's a goal, it's it's we're a long way off, is to buy a life insurance policy. So when I die, I can donate at least a million dollars to, um, to, you know, some of my favorite charities. Um, that is, you know, if I create a cash flow entity, uh, that's there's nothing there's nothing wrong with that kind of plan giving, and 
And I don't think it's something that we create in our head and that God just blesses. And he's like, oh, that's a great idea. I didn't even think of that. I think, I really do think that when you sit with the Lord, he has these things ready uh, for us to take on. That partnership now requires an assessment. You need to assess where you are, how much you're burning up, where the slop is. You know, do you have your numbers right? We talk about it all the time. Do you have your numbers right? And also do an assessment of uh, the folks that you want to partner with, right? Because they're on the front lines. They're doing the work. You're bringing the money and the resource, but it's a partnership. Um, I, I have a pretty awful story. And not that I would have changed any part of it, but... But maybe because it it uh, it kind of devastated me when in uh, 2004 a tsunami hit Southeast Asia. In 2005, I was on the ground because I God told me it's the only way I can say it. God told me to go tell a story. Uh, I just wanted to be involved somehow in rebuilding, in particular Sri Lanka, which is where I was born, and so I asked I asked for help. I said I asked friends. On social media, I just said, pray that God would give me the opportunity to go over and to, to do something. And three different people from three different parts of the world heard the same radio story and sent me a clip. And it was of a gentleman who was running a mission in Sri Lanka. It was an orphanage. And long story short, I got to meet him when he came stateside. I said, I want to visit with you and I'll learn what you're doing. I just I heard the story. I can't believe it. And he invited me over. I got an email from him and he said, Dear PW, if you want to come, comma, come, period, yours truly. And uh, I was like, uh, okay, I think that's an invitation. So I gathered some friends. I told them a ridiculous story and they're like, uh, okay. I mean, the story didn't make a whole lot of sense, but something in, in them was responding to what God was doing. And, um, you know, five of us went over in 2005 and started a documentary. One of our other friends joined us and started taking footage. And uh, we went back a couple years later to get some more footage uh, of this orphanage and the kids that were involved. And um, the one of the girls that was in the original footage was missing and we asked about her. And uh, the pastor said, it's really sad what happened to her she went home to visit her mother. Her mother is too poor to take care of her. That's why she was living in the orphanage. But he said she went home to visit her mother and her mother sold her to, to a man in India. And and this is where everything turned. Um, yeah. <clears throat> we never finished the documentary. We lost our stomach for it. Um, number one, because there was a civil war going on um, and we couldn't poke around. We couldn't ask for answers. We couldn't, I've never tried to find somebody in the third world. I've never tried, had to deal with corrupt systems like that. I've, you know, I, I realized later that if some, if I had a hundred grand and a little bit of time, you know, there was enough of a trail for us to go find her. I didn't know any of that. Um, and so, we came home heartbroken, sick, and uh, we assumed we'd never hear from her or see her again. And I spent the next year asking God to, to go away. I said, I don't want any part of you. I don't know why 
this even happened. At the time I was living on Ohio State's campus, I had built a ministry house, an old Victorian home, and restored it, and a bunch of guys were living in it, and we were kind of doing ministry out of it. And my roommates had moved on at the time, getting married, moved out. So it's just me and a couple of dudes. And um, in these conversations with, with the Lord, you know, pretty much just like, leave me alone. He just kept coming at me, kept coming at me. And, uh, and one night I had a dream that people were running through my home. And I was like, wow, my roommates are really rude. I got up, I started listening. I'm like, there's everyone's asleep. I don't know what's going on. This happened night after night after night. I finally, I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like it's demonic. I call a friend at my church and I said, Hey, I really need you to help me interpret these dreams. I tell her what's going on. She's like, I think, I think I might have something for you. Would you be willing to come to a meeting? So I come to this meeting and it's these five African-American women sitting at a table in an empty chair. And then the pastor and, and my friend and I'm, I sit down. I don't know what's going on. This lady leans over to me. She puts her hand on my hand. She said, my name is Marlene and I'm a prostitute. And so are they. And my heart kind of stopped and I thought, wow, I, (laughs) I don't really know what's going to happen next. I don't, uh, I don't have any frame of reference for this. Um, what, what do you need from me? And she said, um, I work double shifts at Verizon wireless and and I take all my extra money and I rent apartments all around Columbus and I hide girls. So what do you mean you hide girls? I she said I hide girls that have been in the life in the life of trafficking. And and I knew all about trafficking because that'd been my last year studying what happened to my friend Sahenya. And uh I was like, this is going on right here, like in our area. And she said, yeah. And she had a number of girls hidden in apartments. She said, I heard you have a really big house. Can I have it? And I started laughing. I kind of looked at her and chuckled and then said, you're out of your mind. I actually meant it. Um, this is a 4,000 square foot Victorian home that I bought and rebuilt with zero skills. I had literally had no idea how to do anything, plumbing, electric, masonry, carpentry, none of it. I learned all of it um, while doing redoing the house. Uh, incredible memories wrapped up in this place. I mean, I have a thousand hours just in restoring the trim, in the trim alone. And she's asking to have my house. And she said, let me just talk to you. And so after about 25, 30 minutes, um, she said, I really need your house. Can I have it? And uh, one of those one of those game changing moments. <clears throat> and so I just took the keys apart off my, off the key ring and slid her the keys. And, uh, and three weeks later, uh, a team of people came in and turned that house from a bachelor pad into a house for little girls, uh, bunk beds, teddy bears, um, pastel colors. I mean, it was, it was a complete transformation. It was beautiful. And then, uh, I just told the Lord, I said, okay, I get it. I don't, I don't know why it had to happen this way, but, um, but it did. And, uh, and in the process of 
of saying yes to God on this. Um, you know, again, I don't think this was my fault. I don't think it was their fault. They had never done anything like this, but it was, it was one of the worst run nonprofits, uh, knowing what I know now. I mean, just a, what a train wreck. I ended up losing my house in the process. Um, the, I got a call from a lady one day and said, Hey, you know, I was wondering if you could be a, a reference for so-and-so. And I was like, about what? She's like, well, we're going to, we're going to, she wants to rent one of our homes. And apparently she's using her house right now and they're about ready to move. And I was like, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. They're going to, they're about ready to leave. And she said, yeah, she's using you as a reference. So this lady, you know, used my house. Uh, I rented it to her for exactly the mortgage and she left without notice, a $2,000 mortgage. So I, paid it for about four months and then had to give it back to the bank. So I lost my home. So all that to say, uh, after you decide to make a partnership, you have to assess where you're at. Um, and then assess the people that you're going to work with. Would I do this again? I honestly can't say yes or no, because, you know, physically they were a disaster. Logistically they were a disaster. Every part of this ministry has been a disaster they are no longer around as a ministry because of how bad they've screwed people over. I still believe in the cause. So I don't really know how to answer that. Um, but what it led me to do, I started a nonprofit. It's called the hundred movement because in one of those dreams that I asked for you know, help interpreting, God told me that I needed to take a hundred girls off the street or die trying. And so the, my values are from that uh, mission that God gave me, um, and 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 part and part of that is to sacrifice and to build time and margin into my life, into my family's life, so that this mission can continue. Um, yeah, so the sales pitch right now is you know, year-end giving. If you're looking for a ministry to partner with, um, I'd invite you to go to 100movement.com and look at the work that we're doing with survivors of trafficking. The, the good things that are coming, I mean, we've grown 300%. We put out 300% more work in the last year than the year prior uh, with, with a smaller budget. Um, the people who are involved are gold. They are amazing. They are, uh, they're just, they're the best people I know. And they are involved with some women who at this point in their life cannot self-determine. That's why we do this podcast is to free people up so they can self-determine. And, but there are some people, um, I don't think any of the ladies that or men that we serve will ever listen to this podcast. They may never get to that place, but our job is to free them up so that they can um, make decisions for themselves. The same freedom that God afforded to us, that they would be able to see him as he truly is, um, to understand his generosity, his goodness, and to enter into that relationship with him, to approach the throne and to make decisions for themselves so they too can live a lifestyle um, of hope and of justice and mercy and generosity. Friends, there has to be a, a mission and a point 
to our generosity and we have to create pathways uh river a river whose streams make glad the city of god god's generosity does not start with us it should not stay with us um because eventually that generosity reflects him it, re it absolutely reflects his character and and he is more than capable of taking his investment and growing something but also uh, spreading that generosity, spreading that return, and growing it exponentially. The invitation is to be a part of that, but to do it with intention. Um, we've created a pathway for the general public to be a part of the story of a survivor of human trafficking uh, to get their life back, to choose for themselves, to choose good for themselves, to maybe in some way get a glimpse of who Jesus is and have that opportunity uh, to surrender to him. That's why we do what we do. It's not, not as a, to make a person a project, but to love on people radically because that's what was done for us. If we are, if the church is lending its energy to a season of apostasy, it has to stop with us. God is calling us to listen to him, to study the playing field for and, and to look for partnership, right? To assess ourselves, to assess the work that is being done on his behalf, and then to partner and to be intentional about it. Um, to capture all that information and make a working model and then to create pathways for other people to get involved. We created a startup business in a startup industry. We st Remember the timeline. I started researching human trafficking in 2007. And it has taken us 14 years Um to build an established um, value-producing nonprofit. We didn't form our 501c3 until 2016 until we knew that we could control the level of failure um, where we wouldn't have to lose catastrophically and lose people's trust on both sides, whether it's the investor or the people receiving the investment. Like we, It took us a while to figure out um, what wouldn't work. And and God led us there and God is leading us there. There are so many other people that are worthy of your attention, but not everyone is gonna know how to get to them. And so when you get there and you do your homework and you put your feet on the ground and you put blood in the soil, you have to create a pathway for others uh, to get there. I'm telling you right now, the church is made of money because God is generous. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills and everything in between. Um, I don't believe we are a generous church. Relative to what we have been given, uh, I don't see lifestyles of generosity uh, perpetuating. But for the 200 people that are listening to this podcast... Uh, we could take the lead and we could model this 
and uh, and I truly believe it would change the game for uh, the church in America. I believe in you. I I 100% believe that we can create uh, lifestyles of cash flow of 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 uh, um, a detachment from the market, uh, a life of kingdom citizenship that uh, is risk averse and uh, and lives out in God's generous character. Um, I think we can do that and I think it uh, is, is what's required of us. Uh, please let me know if there's any way that I can be a part of helping you in your story. If, if our team can do anything for you, uh, if we can pray for you in any way, help in any way. Uh, thank you guys um, so much um, for your belief, for, your, for, for espousing the values uh, that we hold up, that we think God wants uh, us to live out. Uh, go get dirty. Go get them. Friends, you've been listening to Blue Collar Money, theories of middle-class investing. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any upcoming content. We very much appreciate you taking the time to join us. Please let us know if there's anything we can do to help you live out your best financial story.